Well, good morning, Life Fellowship. It's good to see you this morning. Turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3. We're going to be in Philippians chapter 3 this morning. Before we get into the text uh, that I'm preaching on this morning, I did want to, I told you last week I'd update you guys on some things that we're going to be preaching on. Sermon series coming up. We only have a few more weeks left in the book of Philippians. Uh, But we're going to be starting a series uh, for four weeks in June, starting June 12th and in in the four weeks in July. Teaching through the book of Psalms. Now, you know Psalms are 150 Psalms, so we're not preaching the entire book. But what we're going to be doing is uh, taking a certain kind of psalm and preaching on it. There are many different kinds of psalms. There are psalms that reflect a, a lament when we're going through heartache and pain. There are songs of thanksgiving when things are so uh, or things are going better in our lives. There's, thing, there's psalms of, of penitence when we're dealing with sin. Um, there's also uh, psalms called imprecatory psalms. And if you have no idea what imprecatory psalms are, they are psalms that if, I'm not sure if you've ever read portions of the Bible and they say something like, you know, oh God, you know, smash their teeth out. And you're like, man, I felt like that, right? What do we do with psalms of these emotions? And so the, the whole idea of the, the psalm series that we'll be doing is how do we engage with God through the various seasons and the emotions of life. Uh, All of us find ourselves in different places at different times. And so what we want to do is is look at these psalms to learn how we relate to God in those those times. Uh, And then in the fall, starting actually in August, the first week in August, I'm really excited to be, uh, we're going to be preaching through the book of Daniel. I think there's, there's so many wonderful things. I think we live in a moment. I think we live in a cultural moment by why this book is so needed for us today. Uh, number one, I, I think Daniel was, I believe Daniel was someone who thrived in his faith in Babylon. And if, we, if there's a message that you and I need to hear today, it's how do we thrive in our faith in our own Babylon? Amen? Amen. Not only that, there are all kinds of human events that are happening today that make us wonder what is going on what is god doing behind the scenes and so we're going to be even looking at prophetic passages and and how do we how do we engage prophecy and, and prophetic literature in the word of god in in how does it make sense in our day today so so i we have 18 we have 18 weeks in the book of Daniel. I hope you'll make every one that you possibly can. We'd love to see you out here for that. Um, so I want to encourage you, put those, put those uh, you know, in your minds, and, and, and I hope they will come ready to learn about the Word of God for the rest of 2022. So let's get into Philippians chapter 3. One of, uh, one of my favorite movies of all time is The Secret Life of Walter Mitty. It is, I'm not sure how many of you have seen that movie. It's the type of movie my wife and I, we love watching. And it's the type of movie we love watching over and over again. Um, it's, it's, uh, and the story of Walter Mitty is really fascinating. And again, I'm about to give some things away. And if you haven't watched it, it's been out for 10 years. So I don't feel bad. I never feel bad giving away the end of a movie that, that's been out for a decade. But, but the whole idea of Walter Mitty is, Walter Mitty is this really plain, vanilla-ish guy who is, you know, just, he's working at, at Life Magazine, he works in the basement, you know, processing negative, negatives from photos, and it just, really bland job, really bland personality, and the story of the movie is him becoming someone, it's him, you know, really changing who he is uh, into this person who he kind of was when he was a younger person, 
and he, he experienced some tragedy early on in life, and it kind of set him on a, a, on a course that he was this person who was just, you know, kind of blah, but he becomes this adventurer. He becomes this more outgoing person. And, and it's the story of him becoming who he was meant to be. And when I, I, I love that story, and it resonates with me, and I think it should resonate with all of us who are followers of Jesus, because I think the message of that movie is really the message of our lives. It's the message of those of us who are following Jesus, knowing that Christ has called us to something deep and big and beautiful. And yet many times our lives, when we look at our lives, it's not really what we need to or should be living. And you know, I'm not sure if this has ever happened to you, but have you ever looked at a photo of yourself 10 years in the past or maybe five years in the past? What are the thoughts and feelings and emotions you have in that moment, right? Some of you, some of you are like, man, look how good I looked, right? Some, some, maybe, maybe it's a, man, when I, when I look at that picture, I think about, man, how much I've grown, how much I've changed as a person. Maybe you wonder, man, when I was 10 years ago, I was much more extroverted. Now I feel more introverted. Or, man, I was much more, more, more playful or, or out, you know, but now I feel more, more, more shelled as a person. See, all of us, I believe this, all of us are becoming someone. Do you believe that? All of us, every single one of us in this room, we are becoming someone. None of us are static individuals. There are all kinds of forces that are happening in us and around us to change us and to transform us. And one of the things that Paul is talking about in this letter over and over and over again is how his life is consumed with Jesus. For me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. That's why we have these flames behind us. These flames are a symbol of a person who's being consumed with Jesus. And, And so... Here's the question I have for us. If all of us are becoming someone, is that someone Jesus? If all of us in this room are becoming somebody else, a, a better version of ourselves, a more, a more godly version of ourselves, is that person like Jesus? Because I promise you this, in 10 years, we will look at a picture of ourselves today. And I wonder what you'll say. I wonder what those thoughts and those feelings and those emotions will be when you look at yourself from this point 10 years in the future. All of us are becoming someone. But is that someone Jesus? That is a choice that you and I get a chance to make. And as Paul is finishing off this section in Philippians, and I say finishing off a section because there's something that happened. Sometimes I don't like chapter and verse uh, you know, uh, breakups. Sometimes they work really well in books. Sometimes they do not. But there's really a section. There's a bookend section in this letter that Paul gives. And the bookend section ends in chapter 4, verse 1. But it begins in chapter 1, verse 27. So put, keep your finger in Philippians chapter 3, the end of the chapter. And I wanted you to see this verse in chapter 1, verse 27, because Paul gives this long introduction, talking about updating about how he's doing in prison. He prays for the church in Philippi. He, he gives them this, this vision for his life and ministry, but then he's going to begin the bulk and the meat of his instruction to this church is in chapters 1, verse 27, to chapter 4, verse 1. 
And, and the reason why we know this is because there's very similar language between their bracketing this text. So in chapter 1, verse 27, it says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel. Now, that word, that, that word in the Greek is walk as citizens of the gospel. So it talks about citizenship. This is a message we preached two, two months ago, even longer, about what it means to be a citizen of heaven, a citizen of the gospel. Only let your citizenship be worthy of the gospel, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear that you are standing firm. There's, that, uh, there's another phrase or words I want you to stand as So citizenship, I hear that you're standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Now, I want you to turn to back to chapter 3, verse 20, through uh, chapter 3, verse 20, and we'll read chapter 4, verse 1. But our citizenship is in heaven. Ah, right there, there's another word. There's that word citizenship. He's, he's bracketing the, this, this instruction. He's reminding them again, our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I long and I and whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. There's that word stand firm again. So you have citizenship and standing firm in the in chapter one, verse 27, and citizenship and standing, standing firm in chapter in the end of this section. So you see. There is this section that Paul is teaching on. And so, so what he is doing is he's going to bookend this section with his final instructions. In these final instructions, he's going, to, he's going to apply some things that he's been teaching through this entire section. But I want us to do something. I want us to practice. I want us to use our imaginations a little bit. And I want you to imagine you are sitting there in the room when the letter to this church is being read for the first time. Okay, so let's, let's, put, on our, let's put on our imaginations. And, and imagine you are sitting in an outer courtyard in a house church in the city of Philippi. And this is what the church would do. They would gather together in someone's homes. This is before they had church buildings. And usually they would go to a church or they would go to a home that, uh, that was more wealthier in the, in the body because the larger, the wealthier the person, the larger the home. And so what they would do is they would invite people and sometimes it'd be 30, 40, 50 people. Sometimes uh, really wealthy people in the, in the first century church might have a courtyard that can fit 80 to 100 people. But we know that churches never extended beyond that size. But imagine we're sitting, there's 30, 40 of us in a room or in this outer courtyard in, 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 in Epaphroditus, the guy who sent the letter or the, the gift to Paul, and now he comes back with this letter from Paul to read to, to us as the church. And he begins this letter. So we're sitting there. And here's the thing. What they didn't do is read a couple verses. And they're like, here, Paul, apostle of, of Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. All right, next week we'll read the rest. You know, That's not what they did. They read the entire thing. So sometimes we, we, we get to into our, the way we do church, and you know the pastor might read, five, 10, maybe sometimes even 15 verses that we will preach through and they'll preach on a little chunk or a section. They didn't do that. What the early church would do, they would read the entire letter and then the elders would get up. A number of them would get up and say, here's how we apply this. Here's what I think we should do in light of what Paul is writing. And so imagine you're sitting there and you're hearing this letter. Paul's talking about the joy he has 
and how he's praying for us and how he's instructing us on, on how, to, how to make Jesus our life. And then he gets into chapters 1, 27. Hey, I want you to be a citizen of heaven, not a citizen of Rome. I want you to care more about your citizenship of belonging to Jesus. And I want you to think this way. And I want you to act this way. And I want you to worship this way. And I want you to have joy. And I want you to be aware of these false teachers. And I want you to know Jesus. And, and there's all of these great instructions. And you're sitting there and you're hearing all of it. And what are you thinking in that moment? I'll tell you what you're thinking. This is a lot of stuff. Paul, can you give me one thing? You see, see, I think there are times in life where we feel overwhelmed by all of the things that we're supposed to do as Christians. Are you reading your Bible? Are you worshiping Jesus? Are you having your family devotions? Are you, are, are, are you, are you sharing your faith? Are you, are you in, in a life community? Are you, are you obeying the Bible? Are you doing this? Are you doing that? There's all these instructions, and many times we might feel overwhelmed by the weight of, oh my goodness, there's so much I've got to do. And Paul ends this section by saying something so comforting, okay? In verse 17, brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. What is Paul saying? Listen, if all of us are becoming someone and we want that someone to be Jesus, what Paul knows is this that we need to imitate the right influencers. We need to imitate the right influencers. And the reason I chose that word influencers on purpose, because I hear that word a lot more today than I have in the previous 40-some years of my life. You hear young people talking about being influencers. Well, you know, there's all these influencers on TikTok or influencers on Instagram, influencers on social media, influencers that are influencers. And the reality is there are influencers. Influencers are people that, that, that share vision or wisdom or knowledge or, or life with other people to say, live this way, think this way. And what Paul is saying is, I've given you many things to think about, many things to believe, and many things to do. And I know you might feel overwhelmed right now, but I'm going to help you. I want you to look at me. I want you to imitate me. Now, I love this because this is human nature. All of us love models. We love examples. This is why I go to YouTube. Whenever I'm trying to fix something in my home or there's something wrong in my car, or there, I always, I go on that YouTube and, and, you know, have you ever tried to put any piece of furniture together with, from Ikea? Anyone ever do that? And it's like, there's not even words. It's just like, like stick figures doing something. Like, I, I, I don't know. But I promise you this, there's someone on YouTube that's put that piece of furniture together and is step-by-step step showing you what, you know, Google, you know, you search in, in, in YouTube, and sure enough, there's a guy who's got a five-minute video of how to put this thing together. And you know what I love doing? Watching it, pausing it, doing it, rewind, you know, I do all of that. Why? Because you and I, we need models we need people around us that, that are showing us, how does this look? What is this supposed to look like? And so, so there's this beautiful picture that Paul's inviting them, imitate me, join together and imitating the way I'm following Jesus. Now, 
I know what some of you might be thinking right now. Have you ever heard anyone in your life come to you and say, hey, I just want you to know something. I want you to imitate me. What would you think in that moment? A little full of yourself, aren't you? I mean, didn't Paul, we just preached on this last week. Last week, Paul says, hey, I haven't arrived. I'm not at the place where I am, I am complete in Christ. I, I've not arrived yet. I'm still learning. I'm still growing. So you have Paul in this humility saying, I have not arrived yet. But then he says three verses later, hey, imitate me. Paul, what is it? Well, really, it's both. Paul, this is a constant uh, theme in Paul's letters. Uh, I want you to see this in, in, in one letter in particular, especially, uh, he, he says it in a number of different places. He says this one time in his letter to the Thessalonic, uh, Thessalonian church, uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 7 through 9. He also says it in a personal letter, 2 Timothy 1, verse 13. He talks about imitating himself multiple times, but I want you to see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. And the context of this is saying all these people in this Corinthian church are, have all these followers, but look at, or they're following all these different people. Look at, your, look at verse 15 in chapter 4. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel, and I urge you then to be imitators of of me. So he's saying, listen, you have a lot of influencers out there, a lot of people that want to influence you, but I'm your spiritual father. I'm the one that has led you to Christ, and I'm the one who knows you. I'm the one you can trust, and I want you to imitate me. Not, not out of a sense of pride, but out of love. I love you. I want you to follow how I'm living. He also says it again in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, or chapter 11, verse 1. It says this, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Paul never said, imitate me because I'm so great. What he said is, imitate me as I imitate Jesus. Follow me as I follow Jesus. Paul knew something. Paul knew this very important lesson that all of us learn best within relationships. All of us learn best within community. I mean, this, this is why we as a church we have men's groups, we have women's groups, we have life communities, because we believe, one of, our, one of our values is living in community. We believe that if you are not living in community, you are missing out at what you can learn within a group of people. Listen, I've learned a lot of great things. I love my quiet time with God. God teaches me so many things, but I'll, I'll tell you where I've had the greatest moments of spiritual growth is when I've been with people talking to another individual, sharing my heart, and then share, pouring into me. Transformation happens best. If I want to become like Jesus, that is not a solo mission. Paul's inviting us into this relationship. He's inviting us to say, listen, I, I need someone to show, show me how to do this. We, you and I need this all the time. I remember uh, years ago, you guys know that Dan and I have had a long friendship and relationship. I've known Dan since I was 15 years old. And, you know, I did my summer internship in Bible college with Dan when he was a pastor down in Florida. When he took a church in, in Charlotte, North Carolina in 2000, I, I was his youth pastor from 2000 to 2006. And then we both went our different ways in 2006. But I'll never forget when I heard that Life Fellowship 
was going to hire Dan to be the executive pastor. It was right around 2011. I was pastoring across the lake. And the first thing I did was I reached out to him and said, man, let me know when you're going to be in town. And we, we got breakfast. We'd always meet up that Bob Evans off of Exit 25. We'd meet two or three times a year. And you know why? Because I needed someone in my life who was farther down the road than me in ministry. I needed wisdom. I needed someone to imitate. And Dan is a great person to imitate. He's someone that I could trust. He's someone I could open up to. We all need someone that, that, that we can follow, that we can model ourselves after. And, and here's the thing that I think we need to remember, okay? That this is not, I think many times we are passive in our walk with Jesus, expecting someone to come up to us and say, hey, I'd love to disciple you. Hey, do you want to meet together and do a Bible study? And, and sometimes we have this passivity and like, I'd love to have that relationship, Ben, but no one's ever asked me. No one cares about me. I've gone to this church for years, and no one has done the thing that you're telling me, Ben. Well, guess what? Paul puts the responsibility on them. Do you realize that? Look what he says again in verse 17. Brothers, join in imitating me. And this is a command right here. Keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. He's saying, you are responsible. This is an imperative. You look for people. You look for people. You're the ones that are supposed to scan the church and say, I, that person, the way they live their life, I want to be like them. That, that person seems mature. I want to follow man, their family, their marriage, their life. There's something about them. They have a quality in their life. I want in my life. I want to meet with them. And let me just say, it's our responsibility to be the ones reaching out. One of the things I love about uh, that we've been doing this dad university thing. We've been doing it for four weeks. And man, if you have not come yet, come on out. It's not every week is something different. So it's not like we're building on anything. Uh, I'm actually teaching this sun or this Thursday night on generational sins. I know I announced that on Easter Sunday. So if you want to understand generational sins in your family line, come on out this, this Thursday night here at the church. But there's something about the, the dad university. I've been having dads. I'm not asking them. They're just coming to me, and they're telling me, man, I'm just learning so much. I'm growing so much. Man, this, I, this is helping me so much as a father. Why? Because we are meeting together as a group. And one of the things that, that Craig, one of our elders who just spoke there last Thursday, it challenged the guys, you guys be the one to reach out. You guys be the one to email or to text or, or to tap a guy on the shoulder and say, I want to buy you coffee. I want to buy you breakfast. I need help. I need to learn. I need to grow. We need to be looking for those, those people that we want to imitate and follow. If we're going to imitate the right influencers, we have to be pursuing them. But, but there's, also a, there's also a danger here because Paul warns them. Look at the next two verses, all right? Verses, verses 18 and 19. If we're going to imitate the right influencers, we've got to be weary of the wrong influencers because what he says in verse 18, 19, for many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. Paul warns them, listen, you're going to have moments in your life where you want to follow the wrong influencer. 
I, I don't take it for granted. Just because you are in church this morning, I don't, I, I don't just take for granted that, hey, you just want to follow the right people. In fact, I, would, I believe that the far majority of us are feeling pulled by this tension. Paul is saying, listen, there are going to be people that you will be tempted to follow. You will look at their life and you will say, you know what? I want that. I want that kind of fame. I want that kind of pleasure. I want that kind of self-fulfillment and gratification. I want to live my life in that way. And, and we find ourselves, I think it's kind of like we, we find ourselves stretched. We come in these environments. We come to church. We go to Bible study. We read our Bibles. And we feel this, this influence of, of, of godliness and the Holy Spirit and the Word of God saying, live like this and believe like this. But then we live our lives in the world and we watch movies and we watch television shows and we, we immerse ourselves in social media. And we are just being shaped and molded to say, think this way, live this way, believe this way. And so we come here and many times we feel stretched and we feel like we're stuck and we don't know what we're becoming. Yeah, there's, there's part of me that wants to become like Jesus, but then there's part of me that wants to become like the world. And, and I tell you, think about that 10-year-old picture, that 5-year-old picture that you look at. How many of you look at that picture and the first thing you think is, man, I'm struggling with the same stuff. I'm dealing with the same issues today that I did 10 years ago. And the reason is because we have influences on, on both sides of us. We don't just live in a, in a, in a complete blank slate world. We live in a world that wants to influence you for evil. And we, have a, we live in a world where the God wants you to influence to live for him and for his kingdom. And so what we've got to do is we've got to choose who we're going to follow. And, and you can spot the wrong influencers by Paul, Paul explaining who they are. Look what he says in verse 19. He gives, he gives really four descriptors of these people. He says, their end is destruction. Now this word, there's many times when you think of destruction... Destruction here is not the word that they use for annihilation. This is the word that means ruin or wasted or wasting. The, the whole idea is someone who lives like this is someone who's, who's ruining and wasting their life. They're ruining their gifts. Everything that they do, it, it ends up messing, they're messing up everything and everyone around them. Their end is destruction. And the reason why their end is destruction is because their God is their belly. That's the second description it gives to them. Whose God is their belly. This is what Paul's saying. This type of person, whatever they feel, whatever they desire, they do. Their God is themselves. We live in a culture today that says what you desire is good. I don't care what the Bible says. If you desire it and you crave it and you want to indulge in it, that's good. Don't deny yourself. That's a lie from the pit of hell. And let me tell you something, that when you make God, your, your, your belly, your God, whatever I feel, whatever I desire, whatever I want to indulge in, that's what I'm going to do. When you live like that, your end will be destruction. That's what will happen to your life. And Paul's saying you look for people that want to indulge in life. This, in Paul's day, it was the Epicureans. 
These were the people that Paul preached to on, on, uh, in Mars Hill in Acts chapter 17. This was a major philosophical belief system of that day. And it's our prominent belief system in our, in our nation in America today, which says, whatever you want to think, whatever you feel, do it and do it hardly. For guess what? Tomorrow you're going to die. Live it up. You only live once. And so who cares what tomorrow, who cares about consequences? Who cares about what anybody says? You do you. For tomorrow, who cares what's going to happen? This is a lie. This is the God. This is the people who they made the God their belly. And so the third descriptor is their glory. They glory in their shame. They glory in their shame. This is this idea that the things that they should be ashamed of, the sin that they are committing, you know, they've gotten past the point of covering up their sin. Now they just outright do it, and they want you to glory with them. I, uh, I, this is a very similar parallel passage to Romans chapter 1. In Romans chapter 1, Paul goes into this descriptive of people that deny God, and they start following their own emotions and following their own will, and you see this degradation of sin in people. It happens, and at the end, what do they say? Not only do they, do they rejoice and glory in what they do, they rejoice when other people join them and do it with them. That's the world we live in. And so what we've got to do is we've got to call out this kind of thinking. When we see it, we call it out. And, and, and uh, you know, I'll be honest with you. I'm, I'm season ticket holders of, of the Charlotte FC uh, soccer team that's in town. I, I love soccer, and, and I've enjoyed doing it. And, and here's one of the things as Christians I think we need to be aware of. I, I just got this thing in the mail. Oh, you know, we've got these theme nights. And they're having Pride Night there in June. And I know it's Pride Month. And you know, here's the thing I, I want us to, do, to, to think about as believers, because June is next month. And we're going to be put in situations, some of you are going to be working in environments that are going to want to celebrate things that the Bible calls sin. And I'm not saying that you've got to be someone who's obnoxious. I'm not telling you, you got to do not be like Westboro Baptist people. That's not who we're to be. We're to love everyone. We're to love everyone, no matter what their sexual orientation is or what they've chosen, how to live their life. We show everyone the love of Jesus. But you know what we also do? We do not buckle under people that want to celebrate and glory in what should be shameful. That is, that, is the, that is the standard that you and I will have to stand up against and to call it to not glory in someone's shame. To not be influenced the way the world wants us to be influenced. And, and so these are people who live for themselves. And so this is the prominent worldview you and I find ourselves in. And if we're not careful, we will be influenced by, by this. And I believe this. There's probably some of you in this room who are, you're more, you're being, when the, the, you're talking about the pull of where we're going right now. And right now you're being more pulled in the direction of the world than you are being pulled in the direction of Jesus. The person you are becoming today is more like the world because that's the last descriptor. With their minds set on earthly things. This is a phrase, phroneo, the way to think. This is a phrase that he's used over and over again. Have the same mind. Have the mind of Christ. Have this mind knowing Jesus over and over again. Ten times this word has been used in this letter of Philippians. Saying, have their mind set on earthly things. And you might be feeling that you're being influenced right now more by the world than by God. I remember where I, where I was. I was helping a, a couple in, in, in a church I used to pastor at. And this, this couple was going through a really difficult time in their marriage. 
It was a code red situation. And, and let me just say this. I'm going to take a little sidebar here and just say this. Uh, many times in, in churches, as a pastor, we get calls from couples and from married people that say, hey, hey we're having some hard times. And 90% of the time, it's when things are code red. Like, we are about to get a divorce. And unless you help us, we are done. And what they really, what they normally mean, what I've, after 20-some years of pastoral ministry, what, I, what they really want is, pastor, can you give me permission to leave this bum? Okay? That's really what they're looking for. But, but, but let me just say this. If your marriage is, is struggling, don't wait till it's code red. Come get help. Surround yourself with people and get help when it's like yellow. Or when it's green, yellow. You know, like get help now. But many times we wait, people wait until it's code red and, and there's already so much friction, and there's so much separation, and someone's already emotionally checked out. And this couple that we were meeting with, me and another pastor on staff, we kept going back and forth to this person and this person and talking to them. And sometimes they'd be in the same room and they didn't like being, you put them in the same room, it was like, you know, fireworks and it was not good. Not the bad kind of fireworks, it was not good. And, and so there came a moment where we realized one of these people, one of, the, one of the persons in the relationship was emotionally involved with someone that was not their, their spouse. And, you know, I had this moment with them where, where it, it was like, God gave me this perfect illustration. I said, listen, you are driving down the road in a car that Satan is driving and he's going 65 miles an hour. And you're in the passenger seat. And where he wants to take you is a place far from God and not according to God's will for your life. And you're going to ruin your life and you're going to harm your children and you're going to, you're going to, you're going to harm your marriage. This is not, and I, and I said, right now, we're pulled up, we've pulled up to the car. You're going this way, we've pulled up and we've opened up the doors and I'm extending a hand saying, jump in this car. Because the moment you jump in this car, we're going to head in the other direction. And you can do this. But I said this to them, I said, in five, if you do not do this in five years, mark my words, you will look back in this moment and you will regret it with every part of your soul. And this person did not jump into the car. They stayed going in that same direction. It's one of those moments in life where, where your, your heart is broken. And this is why Paul, when he says, of whom I have told you even tell you now with tears. This is, Paul is pleading with these people. And we can plead with people all we want. Hey, hey, don't go this direction. Don't do this. But we can find ourselves letting people go, or not letting people, but people choosing this way. And if you're, if you're someone in this room who that illustration describes, I want to challenge you to get out of the car now. I'm, we're pulling up to you as a church. You can come talk to me. You can talk to maybe, maybe your life community leader or a call of pastor. You schedule an appointment with me. But don't go another mile in the wrong direction. Don't, don't look, Imitate the right influencers because if you imitate the wrong influencers, your end will be the same end as these people whose end is destruction. Before I, we move on, I just, I just want to say this. There's some of you in this room that should and could be influencers. You are mature in your faith. 
and you're, you're a little bit older, you're a little bit wiser in life, you know what it's like to go through the storms of life. And listen, to be the right influencer doesn't mean you have a perfect life. In fact, I would say this, to be the right kind of influencer is you have the one, you're the one who's been through the valley of the shadow of death. You've made some wrong choices and you have the wisdom and you have the, the knowledge and you have the love of Jesus to help people not make the same mistakes that you made. And what I want to challenge you today is if you are someone who God can use because you have been through sort of things in life, let me just challenge you to stand up and to step up and say, listen, I want to be used. Go talk to Chuck Shalish, who heads our men's ministry. Go talk to Kristen Milks, who leads our women's ministry. Go see Brian, or, or Brian, go see Brad Milks, who leads our, our discipleship ministry as pastor of discipleship here. Go see Justin, who leads our student life. Say, you know what? I want to be, I want to be an influencer. I want to I help people learn how to follow Jesus. God has given you a message. He's given you a story. He's given you knowledge, and he's given you a love for people. You need to use it. Use it. So not only do you have to imitate the right influencers, the, the last thing is we've got to imagine our future transformation. Imagine your future transformation. Look what he, how he ends this section in verses 20 and 21. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables even him even to subject all things to himself. Now, now there's some things that Paul is doing with these words here. The first thing he is doing is he is alluding back to many of the same things that he talked about with Jesus in chapters 2 through uh, chapters 2, 7 through, or 6 through 11. He's saying, listen, you're going to be transformed and be conformed into his body. Just like Jesus took the form of a servant, we're going to be conformed like him. Just like Jesus put everything, you know, subjected all things in his feet in this chapter, he said he's going to make every knee bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. There are so many parallels here. He's saying Jesus is the one who fulfills all of these things, just like we talked about before. But there's another thing that, that, that Paul is trying to say here. He's talking about their citizenship, that their citizenship is in heaven. He's saying, listen, you want to have the citizenship of Rome, the, the, the Pax Romana, the Roman culture, Caesar as your hope. And he uses words to describe Jesus. We await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, those words, Savior and Lord, are two words that were used to describe Caesar Augustus. Did you know that? These were not just random words like Paul's using, yeah, Savior, Lord, that will be used. No, when every time Paul uses the words Savior and Lord to the recipients of a letter who were Roman citizens, he was telling them something. There's a real Savior and Lord. You might look at the, the Roman culture, the Roman way, Pax Romana, the Caesar saying, he's going to take care of me. He's got the right way. He, they've got the power. And what Paul is saying, no, there's a greater kingdom. There's a greater Savior and Lord. And it doesn't matter what happens to Rome. Rome can rise or fall. Our hope is in heaven. Our hope is in Jesus. And listen, if there's a message that you and I need to hear today, it's that message. Because we will have our hopes dashed or our hopes risen by what's happening in Washington, D.C., what's happening, who's in the White House, who's winning elections, what's happening to inflation. We have to stop, get off the train of letting your hope rise or fall with men. That's not the way of God. 
Paul is saying, listen, we have a Lord and Savior. We await Jesus. That's who I'm waiting for because when when I wait for him, he's the one that's going to make it work. He's the one that's going to change me. I've got this lowly body. This this is a word that is used to describe this this humility. It's usually used to describe a humble state, almost like a socioeconomic level in those days. And he's saying, I've got this lowly body. Listen, all of us have these lowly bodies. And it doesn't matter what the shape is. It doesn't matter what the size is. It doesn't matter the age of it. We have bodies that are decaying. Paul talks about this. He talks about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 and 17. And in this passage, he says, listen, outwardly, our bodies are wasting away. Right? We, we, we see that. Let's go back to the picture illustration. Right? We can look at pictures and say, man, look how young I looked back then. Now, I, I, when, I, when I first came here to Life Fellowship four years ago, I would tell people, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm 42 years old. And they're like, man, you look, so, you look like you're in your 30s, your mid-30s. I tell people, no, I'm 46. They're like, yep. You're 46. I don't know if it's Life Fellowship or COVID, but I look older. I look my age finally. But all of us, our bodies are wearing away. But what Paul says, even though our outward bodies are, are, are wearing away or wasting away, inwardly, we are being made new. There's, there's a promise. There's a promise. Listen, all, if all of us are becoming someone, I want to tell you something. There's a promise from God in heaven, and though Jesus bought this promise with his life and his blood, you will be transformed. You will become like him. That is a guarantee, that is a promise, and that is our hope. That is our hope. Listen, there's a lie that some of you are believing because you look at back your past and you say, I'm the same person. I struggle with the same things, Ben, for decades. I have the same struggle. I have the same issues. I have the same problems. And Ben, it keeps going over and over again. And, and you might be tempted to believe the lie that that's just the way it is for you. Everyone else can change, but not me. That's a lie from the pit of hell, and you better rebuke it. There's a promise that God is giving to us in his word. It says, you, if you are in Christ, if he is your Lord and Savior, guess what? You will be transformed. You will become like Jesus. And yes, all of us are becoming someone. And you might be in the car heading the wrong direction at 65 miles an hour, but I promise you this, God is going to do the work in, his, in your life that he promised he would do. That's why we get out of the car. That's why we start moving in the right direction, because I want to work with the Holy Spirit, not against the Holy Spirit. And and, and one of the things that that we have to start believing is that God is working to help us. Paul says, imitate me as I, as I, as I'm, you know, follow me, follow the people who are following Jesus. But let me just say this. The greatest mentor you have is the Holy Spirit. The the greatest transformational power in your life is the one who lives within you when you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. My wife, Liz, she's a gardener. She loves gardening. And I think I've shared this, uh, some of her gardening stories before, but there's a, there's a, a documentary she's, she, we've watched many times. It's called the Back to Eden film. It's about this guy, Paul Gauchy, who is an amazing gardener. And he is 
uh, world-renowned, and this documentary has been viewed millions of times. And, and we went to go see Paul Gauci back in the summer of 2016, and, and when we were there, there were people from all around the world there. There are people from South, South America, from Asia, from all across the United States, from Canada, and, and they were there to learn. Un, I mean, Paul Gauci is like the Yoda of gardening. That's the best way I can describe it, all right? He's the Yoda of gardening. And, uh, and so my wife started, you know, started asking questions, and, and my wife actually has a great relationship with Paul and his wife and calls them often, frequently, oh, what do I do with this? And, and Paul's just this brilliant, wise, older man who knows everything. But during this session where, you know, 30 people are following Paul around his garden, he's saying, eat that, try that, this is what I learned, and this, my wife's peppering him with questions this during this afternoon, and, and as we're walking to our car to leave, Paul, and I believe that God told him to say this to, to Liz, he says, hey, 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 one thing, one thing that I want you to remember, told this to Liz, remember who your mentor is, remember who your mentor is. What Paul was saying is, listen, it's great that you have me. It's great that you can learn wisdom from me. But there's a, there's a greater mentor that we have. And this mentor has promised you transformation. He's, give, he's promising that in your life right now. And you might be discouraged. This idea of becoming someone, you might feel stuck. You might feel like you're going in reverse. But the beautiful thing with God is that he always gives us every moment of our lives the opportunity to join him in his work. It doesn't matter how far you've walked, how many years you've felt stuck. There's always going to be an opportunity for you to let the Spirit of God work in you to transform you into the image of Jesus because this is what he is going to do. As much as the power that he is going to subject the entire world in spirit world under his power is the same power that is working in you to make you like Jesus. And that should give us hope. Three questions and then we're done. Number one, who are you imitating? Who are you imitating in your life? Who do you have in your life that you're looking at, that you are pursuing, that you are looking out for, that you're saying, I am going to make the intentional choice to reach out to this person to say, hey, I need someone in my life to help me. I need some models. I need some friendships. Uh, join, joining, g- going to dad university, going to a women's group, going to joining a life community because transformation happens in community. Number two, who are you influencing? Who are you influencing? All of us are going to be, let's be honest, all of us are influencers. If, if you're a parent, you are an influencer. If you're a Christian, you're an influencer because you, work in a, you, you live in a neighborhood and you work in an office and you live around people who need to see Jesus. I want to encourage you that, that you take on the responsibility and the identity is I, am, I want to be someone that I can say, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Are you an influencer? And then lastly, what is your future hope? What is your future hope? Do you have hope this morning? That Jesus is going to conform you into his image. That our bodies, yeah, they're wasting away, but there's there's something and there's someone greater that I'm becoming. And if you're sitting here this morning and you don't have that promise and you don't know what it's like to have Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you don't know if you have a real relationship with him. And when it comes to hope, you don't have any. I want to invite you to do something. Come talk to me afterwards. 
Or go see, we have prayer, prayer team in the lobby that would love to talk with you and pray with you. Shoot me an email this week. But if you are uncertain about your relationship with Jesus or what it means to be a follower of his, you can take care of that today. It requires one thing, faith in him. It's not hard. It's quite simple, but it will change your life.